I'm Joanne Finari with American Riviera Bank, and we are the Regional Pulse. And I have the good fortune of interviewing Amir and Emilisha here today. Uh, they are teachers and uh, mechanical engineer. Uh, in 2001, they established uh, the Dos Pueblos Engineering Academy. In addition to being the director uh, of the uh, Engineering Academy, uh, they teach physics, engineering, robotics, machining, and manufacturing. The focus, uh, they're very focused on outreach efforts uh, that have yielded 50% female student enrollment, uh, which is pretty amazing. And I know that Amir and Emily are probably going to talk about how that evolved. And uh, in addition, Amir was named a MacArthur Fellow in 2010. Uh, and he is the first high school teacher to win that award. So uh, very, very amazing. I had the good fortune of uh, getting a tour of the academy uh, with Amir and Emily, and I was so incredibly impressed and inspired by their philosophy and uh, just how they their approach to everything. I thought, wow, not only are they making it really engaging and wonderful to be educated uh, and to go through this academy, but these are also things that we can use in the business community. So I thought we'd uh, kind of break this into two parts. And we're going to talk, uh, first of all, uh, about their innovation in education. And uh, then we're going to talk about the lessons that we can use from that for business today. So, uh, Amir and Emily, can you start off by telling us what made you think of starting the Academy? So, the start of the Academy really happened much more from, it's kind of these, this serendipitous kind of thing that happens. Um, Emily and I had both decided to become teachers. We, I had been in industry and engineering, and she had been doing um, you know, English, and we looked and we said, we, we think we want together to join, to, to join and really become educators. And when we, when we came there, um, we were both offered teaching positions, and they had had community interest to start an engineering program. So the idea of it was not, like the idea of like, let's do engineering in high school. I had, I had no background in this yet. And they reached out and said, would you like to try to make this program come to fruition? And I looked at that at the beginning and said, well, I'm the only one here who has an engineering degree, and if I don't do this, who else is going to do it? But it was really kind of a daunting thing as a young person, really a young, young adult coming in to, to say, well, you're going to start to develop this. But quickly it became clear that you know, we were the ones who were going to be the, you know, make the most sense to do this and, and just started from there. And it was a slow process. What I'd say is the first five or six years looked nothing like what we have now. It was really just both of us teaching, learning how to become teachers and learning how to do that. And for me, certainly kind of wandering in the desert trying to create like curriculum that made sense for engineering. But then it evolved over time to where, you know, to what you saw now, which is really just a, a full facility where we develop authentic product that goes out into the real world. So that's, that's the, the, the background of it. How many students do you have in the uh, academy today, approximately? We have about between 400 and 420 is how many we can That's carry. That's amazing. Which is really, it's one in five students at Dos Palos High School, so we're really excited to be able to say that we serve 20% of the entire comprehensive high school, and 50% of those students are young women. 
That is amazing. When I took the tour, it was so cool to see so many women there. It was it was really pretty eye-opening, yeah. actually. And it is anomalous, actually, in terms of STEM fields. I mean, if you go to any um, institution, educational or professional, honestly, you don't see that kind of representation. And that's something that we've been committed to from the very beginning. And, and I think that this is an interesting thing. I think people are trying to solve this problem, and I have a strong belief through, through all the problems that we've worked on and all the things we've developed over the years, I've come to this conclusion that you can't solve a problem unless you believe you can solve the problem. And I think that a lot of times people think they're solving like an intractable problem, so they're working on it, but not with an intrinsic belief that they can solve it. And so the, the background behind that is, I came in from industry I worked with in college. There were very few women, one or two in my class. When I worked in industry, there was one woman in our, our division that I worked with. And then when I started teaching, I was teaching uh, mixed classes, you know, classes that had, had gender balance in the, in the field of just physics, which is a class that everyone needs to take. So therefore, it's gender balanced. And all I did in the original development of the academy was the first course I decided to offer as part of the academy was a version of the physics class I had already piloted. I had basically tested all this curriculum on the students before I created it, and all I did was call it engineering physics. And then when we did that, and then the kids came to sign up, same teacher, same curriculum, same everything, two girls signed up and 33 boys. And for me, wow. it was so obvious that this was just a word and that it was possible to solve this problem because it was the word that changed it. And when I think, what would have happened if I had come in, Engineering Academy is established, I start teaching classes, it has that gender imbalance, and all I knew was the gender imbalance before. I think I would have just accepted that this is what it is and kind of tried to chip away at the problem and be proud like other institutions are. Ooh, we're up to 15%. And the reality is, seeing the young women participate in that curriculum and enjoy it and then simply opt out because the word engineering got added to the title was an eye-opener. And I think it was that, it was just that very, I mean, that's, again, stereotypes like, I, it could have been the other story. And so I think when you, that, that would be a thing like a lesson for businesses. Believe you can solve the problem. When you don't, when there's any doubt in your mind that you can solve the problem, you just won't solve it. I just think you'll always be just chipping away and making progress. And I had a similar experience growing up as a young woman. I was really strong, particularly in math, and my math teachers were like, you should pursue this, you should go into these fields. And I looked and it just, at that time, I was like, well, where am I gonna fit in? There's no women here. <laughs> How would I, what would I pursue there? And so I would just, you know, and I was in those classes that Amir is speaking about, you know, going through, I'm junior high and high school, and I was in those classes and doing very, very well. And my teachers, all of them were male in the science and math, were saying, you should do this, you're really strong in this. And I was like, well, there's, that, that is an identity problem for me. I didn't see a place for myself there. And so it's interesting that, you know, as an adult, I'm working with Amir, and I saw, and I, and I was very actively involved in helping to encourage the young women to be involved. And because times have changed, they continue to change, and we wanted to be part of that change. Right. And what's interesting is, I think there was even some, even though I just said, you know, you have to believe you can solve the problem, the Engineering Academy started out with just 32 kids per grade level. So it was 120 
kids in the program, but if you think of any grade level, it's, it's 32 kids. Mm -hmm. So being at 50% young women in a 2,000 student school, 16 or 17 girls is not really that impressive. It's impressive as a percent, but not impressive as a, as a big change. And then when we, we worked together, we wrote a grant to expand because what had happened is there was a, a lot of demand for the Engineering Academy. And we worked together to write a grant. We, we wrote a $3 million grant. This was back in 2007 with the idea that we would build this facility out. And when we did roll the facility out finally, there was this fear amongst us as we were looking to expand of we're about to triple the size of this program are we really going to be able to maintain that percentage? And Emily was really instrumental in making sure that we really did retain that. And there was a lot of outreach that we had to do in that transition from going to, you know, just 16 girls to then being at the, the 55, you know, girls per grade level all the way through the, the whole thing. And so we were able to maintain that. But again, it was with that belief that we held from the beginning of we know that this is, this is something that people are enjoying and people like, and it's really just society. Wow, that's that's amazing. I, I I just can't believe how how much you've grown, and uh, it's it's so impressive when you go there and you see actually the different robots mm -hmm. that you guys that you started out with, right? And now where it is? Do right. you do you want to talk a little bit about how how you how that evolved? Yeah. So. Absolutely. What happened is the thing that really started to transition everything was when we did discover this kind of ro this robotics competition. And that was where I would say Emily and I started working very, very concertedly together toward this broader vision. What, what happened is we realized what was possible um, through doing these robotics competitions. And it was striking. The work we were doing was much more... Um, substantive than what I remembered even teaching. I, when I was in grad school, I was a, a teaching assistant, and it was much more substantive than the work that I remember teaching the undergrads to do as a grad student, and we were doing this in high school, and that was kind of what set the stage of we really don't have faith in what young people can do, and we really, we set up an educational system that is all about preparing people for an eventuality, you know, an eventual future they're going to participate in, and not engaging them in a young, at, when they're younger in the real world. And mm -hmm. I'd say the real premise of the Engineering Academy, which we'll talk to as we go on, is about engaging the students in authentic work. So Hands on. Yeah, hands yeah. on. Hands and, that's, on. And, and you can see that, too. When you take a tour, you can see the students getting very involved and working together mm -hmm. uh, to solve a, a, a problem, to solve a puzzle, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just... It's, it's really neat to see. Right. It, it's a whole different way of teaching. I think what was also a real gift of participating in the first robotics competition, which is international, I mean, there's thousands of teams that participate in it, is that it becomes a really immersive experience, which is different than what you experience as a more traditional classroom teacher where you have your students every day, because we were with them in this immersive experience that was outside of a typical class time schedule or a class period because we were meeting with them after hours and into the evenings and going on trips with them and going to competitions with them, which 
was a little bit more like what you experience with a, with a team or as a coach. And so in that immersive experience, we were with the students all the time and having a different experience, almost this contrasting experience with, okay, students in a classroom and then students working on something very intensively outside of a classroom space. So we could see both of those and we're experiencing both of those and kind of being like, well, how, how can we bring some of this into this and how does that overlap and how do we do that? Because of course it wasn't only about the robot and building the robot. Of course there was that part, but then there were all these other pieces of it because you had your team culture and you had, we were writing all these essays and we were trying to win these different awards and distinguish ourselves in all these different ways because there was a focus on community service and how are you at your school with your team trying to reach out to young people in the community? How are you trying to encourage interest in STEM? And so the, the first organization was really instrumental in us experimenting with all those things and working with the students because that is who we had there to work with. And so we developed that way of being with students and then that eventually transformed what we did within the regular schedule of a of class period at school. Wow, that's, yeah, so interactive and, and, and um, you're you're in it with them, so it's not they're not afraid of you. They're not, yeah. You're you're one of them, which is which is really really a cool way to do it. And we talk Especially about it in yeah. high school, well, right? Almost as colleagues, and to invite them to the problem because it's a collective problem, and we don't know the answers, and we're really honest with them about that. And when you're inventing anything, when you're trying anything, whether it's a mechanical issue or an organizational issue or something we were, you know, anything that you're trying to do, there's not going to be just one solution. And so we always, Very we talk true. about invite everyone to the problem, particularly the people who it's affecting. Right. Because they're gonna have an investment in finding a solution that works. Exactly. And then the, the trans- well said. Right, well said, right. Emily. And, and then the transition out of robotics was really a natural one. I think it was, a, it was definitely a shock to the community because we had had this you know, this championship robotic team doing so well. But as our organization grew, we grew beyond the ability to serve the students with that single robot. That robot worked fairly well in the old facility with a small group of students, but now you've got 400 kids. And how do you, how do you build that? And not only that, but the 400 kids um, are learning things that we couldn't teach the kids prior to having the facility um, before they would even come to robotics. So as you get to the, the senior year when we were doing the robotics competition, these kids had all these experiences that really allowed us to even grow more and expand more and be able to have more opportunities. And so what we, what we came to is we have to figure out what are all these great things that we can take from robotics and how can we leverage all that we've learned and figure out a new direction to go. And that was hard, that was, a gro- that was growing pains, it was a challenging, but what we ultimately landed on which is the direction we've headed now and it's been very successful, is having the students work on us uh, developing interactive kind of exhibits for STEM museums, STEAM centers, et cetera, and we've been able to put these exhibits out in the, in the world and they're actually you know, having a life of their own. So the, the benefit to that is now you've got students working on something that is absolutely authentic. You're, we're effectively competing against an industry that does this. There are industries that this is an industry, an existing industry that creates and develops these exhibits and we're doing that simultaneously and we're doing it at a level that is is commensurate with that. Right now we have an exhibit that our students worked on and developed that's at Moxie, the local museum, and it's it's there for three months and it's going strong and, it, and 
we've been there and from what we can tell, people are really enjoying it and enjoying it at a level of not even being able to differentiate, is this something that students made or is this something professionals made? It's captivating the audiences you know, the, that, that engage with it just as, as it is. You know, not, there's no, oh, it was made by students, so it, it, has, it changes the value of it. It's, it's just full stop. This is an enjoyable experience and we're really happy to have this in this environment. So speaking of museums and the fact that you're exhibiting at the Moxie, uh, when I took the tour, it reminded me of when I took the tour, you, you, you have space now, but it's, it's, it's getting pretty full. And uh, you are now looking at uh, developing uh, one or two new buildings. And uh, tell us about what you'd like to do with those buildings. Well, we're really excited about this new project um, because it's, in many ways, it's something that perhaps we've been working toward for about a decade. I mean, we didn't necessarily know that this facilities project would take on the life that it has, but a lot of the ideas and the vision that we had in mind in terms of professional development and things like that that we can, we can speak about, we had these ideas that were seeded many, many years ago that we were working toward. And when, when we really started developing the interactive exhibits, that started to, as Amir was just saying, really take on a different life. It took us in a different direction. And what I'm particularly excited about is the entrepreneurial element that has now Begun, begun to thrive in the Engineering Academy. Of course, we were always working on design work and students creating things, but we weren't necessarily thinking of them as products and thinking about, well, how do you work with a client? How do you work with, with like marketing some kind of product? How do you test the robustness of a product? How do you iterate on a product? And all of those different elements, which of course were somewhat there, but now there's a real obvious niche market for us and as we're interfacing with these different exhibit developers and museums like the Moxie and like this, the San Francisco Exploratorium, our students and their sense of what they're doing and it being really real and authentic and having a place to live in the world is really very exciting. And so the facilities project that we are embarking upon is, um, is really the next chapter of that. And I think Amir can speak to that a bit. Yeah, so with what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a space that allows us to do, I think, the, the one limitation that we have and that we've seen, especially with the Exploratorium. Um, the Exploratorium in San Francisco is really known as like the, like the marquee exhibit developer slash uh, museum in one. And what they, what they do and what we observe with their designers is that they'll work on ideas and put them out and the public will engage with them. And then they'll have this experience where the thing will get developed with continuous public feedback. And one of the things that, we, what's, that struck us, and we actually went, we did a presentation at the Exploratorium, and they were personally struck by the fact that we would try to design an exhibit with very little outside input and then just put it out in the world and believe that it was going to be interactable and people were going to like it. And while we did have success with that, we also heard that kind of constructive feedback. And it was about the same time when we, we were learning about the potential for some state money and some grant money and some district money that could potentially help us, you know, kind of move in this new direction. And so what we see ourselves being able to do, the limitations are that we would like to be able to have the students develop these products and develop these things with continuous feedback. And so what we're imagining is an interactive space that's open to the public um, and as in our future vision, potentially year-round, 
and where we would be developing these products and inviting the public in, and they would have an interactive experience unlike what you would typically see in a museum, because even more so than the Exploratorium where they kind of put the thing out there and, and set it there and have people interact with it, we've found that the most profound experiences for our students are when our students are regularly interacting with the public. And that's a huge difference between what I think our traditional experience with education is and where we're moving. And the idea is how do you, in a way that's not ad hoc, so when you came and visited, mm -hmm. you spoke with students, for example, yes. and you got to talk mm -hmm. to them, and you could see mm -hmm. their excitement. And we do yes. that all the time. Yeah. People are coming in here and there, and what we see is that is, that's the transformative thing for the, the student, because they're used to sitting in classes all day with no one other than their teacher really caring about what they're doing. And when you think about human condition and human motivation, you want people to feel excited and motivated about what they're doing. And when you have people from the public coming in, all the time engaging with you and, and, and acknowledging your work, it's inspiring to you and makes you feel like what you're doing is making a difference. And so that's the big thing we're trying to do. Our big picture idea is it's less about the building and the facility, although that's a critical thing to facilitate it. It's about continuous, intentional, structured exposure to the outside world and kind of breaking down the bubble that is around all of public school. And by allowing for that sharing of ideas, which exists in the business world, if we allow that to happen at the, at the younger grades and start to push that even down into the elementary schools, we see that as being a transformative vehicle for education. See, that's so, that's so great because, y you know, there's, there, there's a whole generation uh, that, that has come up and just, just they look at their iPhones. Mm -hmm. That's all they do. And so they get out in the business world and they have difficulty creating relationships or even, even knowing how to talk to people, you know, um, or how to even start a conversation. So it's so great that you guys are doing that. I mean, that's, oh, that's, that's beyond education. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so amazing for the kids. And they probably don't even realize it. In some ways they don't, and in some ways they are beginning to. And that's part of one of the benefits of interacting with people off the street, as it were, you know, other industry professionals, people who come in from outside of the educational sphere. Because the students who are with us in the Engineering Academy, they don't know what the water that they're swimming in because they're swimming in it. And it seems normal to them, yes. like, oh yeah, yes. whatever, like we just do this and it's exactly. fine. But when they interact with people from outside of that universe, they start to feel a different sense of even their own skills and abilities as they communicate about what they're doing. And as an external industry partner asks them questions and then they can answer. And then that person asks them another question and they can answer and they suddenly feel they're having this very professional conversation with someone that they've never met who works as a mechanical engineer in the community and suddenly their sense of their own abilities and their own skills is elevated. And that, of course, becomes even more exaggerated once they leave and they go to college and they start to realize when they talk to other people and all of their peers are asking them, how do you know all this stuff? How, how do you know how to do these things? And then they say, well, I was in this engineering academy in high school and we hear those stories all the time, which is really very gratifying. But it's also, it goes to show that when you try to normalize something, it really does become normalized. And our hope 
is that within the community, with this, with this facilities project, with this vision, for it's a community vision, that people can then, the, the doors are you know, blown open, and so that everyone can come in and have access to that, and so that everyone can begin to see that. And perhaps anyone who is interested can start swimming in that water too. Oh, that's great. And, 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 you, and you also are, are having the kids, the, the high school kids, work with junior high and elementary school age children, right? And so that they're starting to partner with them. And you just started doing that. We're, we're, prototyping, we're piloting We're it. prototyping that right now mm-hmm. because we have these ideas of what we're going to do in the facility, and we're very conscious as designers. I mean, that's what we do now. We really are designing education. We're designing exhibits with students. We're doing all the stuff of the need to prototype. I think people, you can have an idea and you can say, well, let's wait till the facility shows up and then we'll see. But the reality is um, you want to be creative within the resources that you have at any given time to kind of predict, you know, work toward the future. And so with what we have now, we're, we're working creatively to test these things out. So we are inviting the young people in um, to come and and, and paired up with our students and work with our students. And one of the things I want to touch back to what you were saying a few minutes ago was this notion of students and the iPhones. I think we're really in a consumption society right now. And I think the only thing that sets people apart from everything else that's living on this planet is the b- ability to create. And I think what we're trying to do yes. is structure an environment that not only says, oh, creation can happen here, but is just all about the idea of creating. And I think that school has ultimately, this is not an indictment of of all the teachers. Everybody's working really hard to try to figure this out, but we keep, with all the standardized tests and all the things that we overlay over the school system, we set up a situation where people are really task-oriented, content memorization-oriented, and those are not the type of things that um, are going to really be as needed in this new this new future. I mean, this new future is really all that stuff is information based, and information is now free and ubiquitous on the internet. It used to be very very valuable, and I think we have to acknowledge that it was very valuable to be able to take in information, store it, retain it, and have that accessible at your fingertips in the job you would do. Because what are you going to go to the library and look stuff up, and you can't keep doing that. And you obviously in any job you, that has ever existed in time. You'd need to go do research. You'd need to go look stuff up. But now, with the information being so easily accessible, it really is much more about, I I think we have this opportunity to focus on the creative component of humanity and really realize that information is just ready. You can get it instantly. And how do you then synthesize and create with it? And I think a key part of that is collaboration and interacting with others. Because all of the research shows that creativity and kind of a dynamic creative experience is magnified when other people are invited into it. And that, there, sure, there can be a creative Absolutely. spark that one person has, but when other people are involved in a true and authentic way, that expands and it can become, there's like, a, you know, people talk about the secret sauce of that or the magic of it. And as Amir was talking about how information is ubiquitous and you can go online and you can, you can learn anything you want. You know, you can go and you find these videos and instructional videos and all of that is fabulous. But then you take that and what do you do with it? What we are aspiring to provide and to create in our vision is opportunity 
for students and community members to come together and to build relationship and to have connection and to collaborate in the service of creation. And there is joy there. And there is a sense of contribution there. And there is a sense of value. And what can we do together? And achievement. And it, of course. Yeah. And then a sense of self-esteem that is different mm -hmm. than I know skills and I can go and I can do really well on this exam or this test and I can demonstrate those skills in that arena. And of course that's important. Of course that is. But we're saying that these, this other arena is also very important to be able to apply that in connection with others in service of something that will help other people, that will live on in a way that is making a contribution to our society and connecting to other people and inspiring them. And that's part of what we're piloting with the, the elementary students. When our, when our teenagers are working with the students, it's so beautiful because our you can't help but feel that you're making a difference in a child's life when you're showing them how to use a machine and they're so excited and they're so ecstatic and they make this little piece that then goes onto your exhibit and it's like they've won the lottery. It's like the greatest thing that's ever happened. And that just brings such joy. And I, I think that that's so important. And there's so few opportunities in a way in our society these days for those types of interactions to happen. And that's what we want to create and make a model for so that can spread. Because when people see it and they come and they experience it for themselves, they want more of it because there's something fundamental to the human experience that it ignites. And, and to give your the listeners kind of a visualization, I mean, you got to imagine we're talking like a third grade student standing effectively on a soapbox next to one of our students working the controls of one of these industrial machines, producing a part for an exhibit that's going to go out into the real world. And we've seen the students come back when the exhibits are out in display. These young people run up, because these are the kids we've prototyped this right, experience with, right. run up to the exhibit with their friends and point inside the exhibit and say, I made that part right Aww, there. That's and that, so that's just such a, such a tremendous thing to be able wow. to see that we're able to do that. And we can talk more about this kind of in the section you were talking about business and leveraging, but this whole notion of, of leveraging our student resources to be able to achieve an, an impact on the community that you couldn't achieve if you wanted to even start a company that was going to try to offer that same service. Like, you can't take 45 people and pay them for one hour to work for one hour with a young person. But with our students at our school setting, they're with us in that classroom setting already. And so we have access to 100 young people with skills and talents, et cetera, who can share those with that young person for that hour. And it's a mutually beneficial thing. I mean, we had some kids working on a machine, and they had just really learned how to use this machine, and they were teaching it to a young person. And the way you can look at it is, is I could either give the student a written exam for how to use that machine, or I could stand there and monitor them and say, do you know how to use that machine? Or we could just evaluate them in a very simple way of, are they able to help these young people gain access to mm -hmm. the machine? And through that process, they're building their own knowledge and they're proving to themselves that they do, in fact, know how to use it. And so you get, you get the result you wanted anyway. The kid is now feeling invested in knowing how to use the machine to both make their own parts, but then also invested in really understanding it because they've got to communicate this to a young person. And that's, you get the assessment built in there. It becomes free and you don't have to spend all this time 
time. I don't have to walk around the clipboard and grade people. I can just stand in the room and go, those people look like they know what they're doing, and it's working out, and the young person is successful. So it's, it's just a way of just changing the way you even think about, about what an assessment looks like and what the value of even what your own students are doing. You know, some people would say, well, aren't you just having your students then help this person? What are they getting out of it? I mean, there's so much gain in both by both parties. And I think people know inherently, and of course the research also backs this up, how much value there is in teaching something to someone else and also in being a role model. And that's something else exactly. that we is is really spectacular to witness, to see a young person who is a teenager really rise to that feeling of being a role model to this younger child who's coming there and they're wide-eyed and they're like, what's going on? What is this? And then they're a little bit afraid. I mean, the machines are huge and they really right. do have to stand up on these boxes. <laughs> and then, the, and then this, the teenager oh. is then responding in a very human way and in a nurturing way to help them to calm their fears and to say, I got you. I can help you with this. Let me just show you one thing at a time. And then they're doing all of those things that parents do for young people, of course, where you're, you're modifying the language that you're using so it's more accessible and you're realizing, okay, I can do this. I can help this person. It's just step by step. It's totally fine. And that becomes so satisfying for all involved. And then imagine the young person, their sense of like their big buddy, and then they love that mentor. Oh, And they're yes. like, I want to come back and they I want really to see you. They really look up you. to the well, high school of, students. Of course they of do. Of course, right. Of course they do. It's not a teacher. It's not a teacher. And it's the, their big buddy. Well, right. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Right. yes. And along with that, I mean, there's, a, there's several things that happen here. That um, One is that, again, going back to the iPhones and going back to the limited, we all know in our society right now that we are struggling with ensuring that young people maintain the same types of social skills and social interactions through normal human interaction that is being reduced through all of the screen time and through the communication via phones. And so even if you just want to look at it from the most pragmatic standpoint, you've got a, a kid having to communicate with another kid and you've got people to people contact and the more you can bring that out in the school setting because imagine if a kid's on their phone all day and then they're in school sitting at a desk and they're not communicating there when is there going to be the time for people to have these types of interactions so we almost have to make up for the fact that that's not happening as much in the normal course of society and this is one one strategy to, to achieve that well it's a great strategy and I love <clears throat> you you have when you, when you have your high school, when you pair up your high school students with your uh, third graders, for instance, mm -hmm. okay, so you're teaching, you're teaching the high school students leadership skills and, and mentoring uh, skills, and you're teaching them the value of sharing, and that can easily apply to business. Absolutely. I mean, we think that organizations, I mean, your organization, any organization is going to benefit greatly from employees who are capable of mentoring other employees. Because the idea is if you can all work together, you're going to be much more effective. And so I think that's a very um, underappreciated skill in a, in, a, in a business setting is the ability for people to mentor other people effectively. And I think that what we're doing is definitely setting people up and cultivating that. Yes. And that's something that people, as you enter business, you, you, you learn it. People tell you that's what you should do, but then it doesn't always happen. And so, and I think that's in part because people didn't grow up that way. I mean, they just didn't learn it in school, right? 
And so what you are doing is really, it's something that the business community needs. Your philosophy with students is absolutely, it needs to be brought out there to the business community because they, you, you know it, you hear it, you read books about it, but, but actually doing it is, is a different story. And, and that can get lost. Well, it absolutely can, especially if you don't know how to exist in that kind of relationship. To be a mentor or to be mentored, those are very different types of relationships. And if you have not practiced that or had exposure to that or had someone to really orient you to that experience, it can be very awkward. Even the idea of, well, how do I seek a mentor? I feel so awkward in this whole thing. I don't even know what to do. And then if I identify a mentor, what do I even do? And how do I feel comfortable in that? And so many stories we've heard of, you know, different successful people, business people in the United States, they talk so frequently about their mentorship that they had or someone who took them under their wing. And a lot of times it's told in that way that someone sort of came into their life and reached out to them and brought them under their wing. Because it seems like there, there is something there in our society where, of course, that has yielded beautifully. But how do we help people have access to even knowing how to seek it out? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that so much of what you teach the students or in the way you engage the students, uh, so much of that can be applied to business. You, one of the other things that, that we didn't touch on yet is really how you, you move your students around to the different areas. So the different um, uh, build-outs, mm-hmm. for instance, or uh, a group will work on design and then they move into uh, parts. Mm-hmm. And so they experience all the different areas and it can be applied to business where, and you, and you do that because you want them to not only learn the whole thing, but to appreciate what the others do. Right, I think that with business, um, it's efficient to have people be specialists. And I think having people be jack of all trades, I think people fear that that can be dangerous. People are spreading themselves too thin. But certainly from the standpoint, as you said, of having context of what everybody else in the organization is doing is valuable. There are companies that do that. They take people and they put them in all the different sections and then they ultimately settle in a space that's going to make the most sense for their skill set. But I do think that There's something to be said for giving people ownership over more than one domain, just from the standpoint of changing the company culture away from that's not my problem. This especially this especially (laughs) this especially appears in in bureaucracy. So in, in in very bureaucratic environments, people are very willing to just contain themselves in their silo. And sometimes, you know, this happens. You, a customer complains and it never makes it through the right area because someone just kind of refused to, like, pass that on or take ownership over that. And I think that a good, healthy organization, people are taking ownership of the whole thing. And when they see something there that, that is a problem, they are given the latitude to do that. There's a lot of uh, engineering 
companies that have moved toward that. They're like even I, I read the Boeing, and I think this started out with Toyota, where the people there's always these hierarchies established, and the hierarchies create situations where the people at the bottom of a hierarchy don't feel empowered. And a lot of those those effective engineering organizations said, if you see a problem, you can stop the line. You can just stop the assembly line. You can freeze it out until we figure out what's going on because we feel like if we don't have visibility to these problems, we're, we're going to pay for it down the line. And they really found yes. it. What oh, they yeah. found, though, is that giving those folks on the lower you know, rung, and I, I, we personally, I think Emily and I are both very interested in a, yeah, in a very flat um, organizational chart. That's something that we, we really mm -hmm. find compelling, especially working with students. If you don't think like that, you're going to set up a situation where the students are down here and us as experienced teacher, engineers, designers are way up here. Um, it's not effective. So we're very much, much believing in that. But when, what you find is when you do that, when you give people voice, it's not just about the bottom line and saving the fact that you were making something wrong, but now that person feels like they have ownership. They feel like they can help shape the direction of the organization. And really, that's what anybody wants. People don't want to come to work every day and be a cog. They want to feel like they can be a part Absolutely. of the vision right. of the yep. organization. And I think that we, yep. in our organization, I think if you were going to say what I think the, one of the most important things we do is we cultivate that with the students and we hope that that gets carried forward so as they become the entrepreneurs or become the people that work in these businesses, that they carry that culture forward with them. Because I think that that just leads to a much more effective um, working environment for everybody. Absolutely. For everybody in the whole organization, whether you're hierarchical or flat, it's going to be a better, a better organization if people Absolutely. feel like that. Absolutely. And that really speaks to a sense of contribution. Everyone who is coming to work every day for an organization wants to feel like they're making a contribution yes. and that it's meaningful and that it has purpose and that they have something to offer. And that really goes back to what we're talking about with the students and what we're trying to do with our teenagers because we feel really strongly that our high school age young people in this country are absolutely underutilized in terms of contribution because they are ready to do more and they yes. want to, and they benefit from it, and we all benefit from it when they have a sense of contribution and they're invited to make that contribution to the community. And that will only continue on into their adult lives. And that's why we're so passionate about creating this forum for them and with them. Oh yeah, exactly, with them, yes. It really is yeah. a with them. I think it really it's is really a with a them. Huge... I mean, the reality is this, each year we that's develop it we develop yeah. like 12 to 14 new products. And some people are dubious. They look at this finished product and they go, <laughs> how did high school students do this? But if you look at how lean our staff is, there is no way that it could not have been brought to fruition without the significant and, and, yeah. and, and, and efforts true. of the students. Like if you, go, you walk true. to our facility, how many adults do you see? And if you look at everything that's being made and created, there's no way. I think we'd, I saw it too. We'd be yeah, working. Right. Working, working. I mean, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And so, so that's, a, that's a key thing is we set ourselves up. We, I talked about the flat organization. We set ourselves up with the, kind of these audacious goals that can't be achieved if the adults were the only ones doing Which it. Which is also yes. authentic to the students because we're looking at them and saying, you know we can't do this without you, so come on. We're in this boat together. Oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. perfect. See, yes, 
Absolutely, absolutely. And then I do want to I do want to paint a picture, and this might be somewhat out of sequence, but I think we talked about this notion of a difference of what it would look like when you come into this new facility we're we're trying to create. And then I think Emily can share kind of the the, the space of the facility. We didn't really get into talking about what that looks like, but imagine if a group of students are ideating on an exhibit idea, and then we bring in our museum guests or our inter interactive STEAM Center guests, and they come in, and we start bringing them in right at the beginning and say, here are the ideas we're having. We get feedback from them. Well, now those folks are invested in what those kids are doing, and the following week, we might put out a little tweet. Those people might become followers of an exhibit on using the new social media strategies. And we might say, you know, we've furthered the design and we have some rudimentary CAD drawings. Anybody that came and participated in that last week, do you want to come and see our progress? So they come in and they start interacting with the students again. And I'm envisioning an environment where our guests are known by name. Like they are connected with a group of students and they maybe follow one of these exhibits from ideation all the way through, you know, development, testing. You know, we invite them through the whole process. We might send out a tweet and say, we're using our large format computer numeric, you know, computer design controlled machine, which is a CNC machine, to cut out this part. Uh, it's going to happen at 11 o'clock. Anybody who wants to come in can see it. And now people are motivated to come in to your place and see this. Well, right. I was going to say, not only are they motivated because they have investment in this process of how this exhibit is being created, but they're also motivated because they have relationship with the student creators. So let's just say maybe it's a Girl Scout troop or a Boy Scout troop or a fifth grade class or whatever it is. That group is coming and they're connected with that group of maybe five students who are working on that exhibit. And they, they start to know them and they're sharing their ideas and they're sharing their feedback. And then they're invited to come and say, we're ready to have, we're prototyping and we need feedback. We need you to come because you're going to have a role and you're going to be making a contribution to this process, not in a passive way, in an active way. And also opportunities for those same students to come back and learn how to use the machines. We are going to be adding parts. We need these little parts. You can come, we'll teach you how to make them and then that will become part of the exhibit that you've been participating in this journey with us. And now you, you are continuing to make a contribution. So there's the relationship piece, then there's the skill building piece, and then they've actually made a physical contribution and given that back. And then they're part of the story. And, and one of the things that's really exciting, I that. That, I, that I find exciting, we talked to you, this is actually came from your visit, is because we engage with so many people and because we have kind of gotten out of that, that bubble that's around school, because so many people visit and we share these ideas, we develop ideas during the time people are visiting us. And mm -hmm. one of the things that came to fruition, I think Emily and I kind of started bouncing this idea back and forth, was looking at an exhibit, for example, in a space and it having a failure and looking at that mm -hmm. as an asset rather than a liability. Think about guests coming in and saying, this thing that we, we built, and I'll, I'll, use, I'll use the exhibit we just put in Moxie as an example. Whenever you put in, it's a big installation in Moxie. We put that in within the first 24 hours, something went wrong, we went and fixed it. Then it was 48 hours and then something went wrong and we fixed it. And in that environment, it did feel like a liability. It felt like, wow, we have this exhibit here, everybody's wanting it to work, and we're here servicing it. And now, you know, after about a week of that kind of up and down and up and down, 
the whole thing is now working and now it's gone now for two weeks with basically no problems and we hope that it continues for the next three month run. But imagine having a space where you treat that differently, where when the guests come, they're excited to see what's not working because they'll be invited to come in and maybe learn how to fix it or service it. And I think most spaces will look at that and go, oh, feel embarrassed. We have to pull that off the floor. This new thing we developed has problems. And you can turn that. It's what Emily said, and I'll let her speak to this because something she's really passionate about is this notion of bringing visible work that is typically invisible. And the notion of, like, there's all this invisible work that happens around our world. You know, every day you get up and the streets are clean and the trash cans are emptied and all these things happen that you don't see and that we all take for granted. And it's this notion of how do you do that? And like I said, Emily, that's a big thing that she's... Well, and also in terms of education, for me, education and access. There's so much, particularly for young people, for children, that their parents are doing for them all the time, that their teachers are doing for them all the time, that they don't necessarily see. And how do you help that? It's kind of what we were talking about with the mentor relationships. If people don't see it, if they don't experience it, how do they know that it's there? And that's kind of the whole thing, like with the tree falls in the forest. It's like, well, yeah, these things are happening, but how are we going to show them that? And how then are they going to have access to that? And so for us, that whole idea of making the invisible visible is actually becoming kind of a mantra for us. And again, not only in terms of the exhibits and what kind of maintenance they need, but also how are decisions made? And that's part of the the concept of doing things with the students in the Engineering Academy. So many of the decisions are made with the students. And how are we going to solve this problem? What are we going to do? We didn't know what we were going to do for an upcoming field trip. And we said, well, who wants to work with us on, on a committee to do that? Rather than you know, me calling the, the different parent volunteers and saying, well, let's solve this offline. No, these students are 17 and 18. They can figure this See, out. See, that's great. And they should yeah. be figuring it out. And it's actually their problem. So let's work on it together and make that experience visible to them. And the types of questions that they're asking really shows how much they don't have experience with it. You know, they, don't, they haven't necessarily planned a field trip before because they have been planned for them. And that makes sense. And yet, we want them to have access to participating in that process all the way around, top to bottom. And so that's become a mantra for us and kind of like a guiding light of the vision. You're creating a... a boy, I really want to hire the students. You're <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I want them in our bank. <laughs> And that's one of the things we're hoping to do. We're really hoping to find, I mean, this goes to the whole, the whole vision is that what, what we're doing at, at the end of the day, I mean, let's just put some practicality to it, is a service to the community where we believe we're doing a better, I don't say better, we're, we're adding value that education isn't currently adding to make it so that the local community and the communities that these students end up in are going to benefit from, benefit from this. And from a pragmatic standpoint, just when I look at what we're trying to do, we're, we're, on, we're in the middle of a, a capital campaign for a facility. It's substantive. It's about a $25 million project. It's, you know, it's 25,000 square feet. And we're, you know, we've got philanthropists on board. We've got, you know, we've got uh, foundations on board. But we really are hoping to start to reach out more than we even have currently to the local businesses to say, do you want to help be a part of this? Do you want to help support this? And we really, I think part of this, this talk we're doing now is to get visibility of we, we're doing really well. We've probably got about 
15 to 17, maybe 18 million of the 25 million we need to close this out. But for us to do this, not only does it require the altruistic kind of venture that Emily and I are on to try to make this happen, but it requires the altruistic kind of uh, you know, community coming forth and saying this is something that we support and that we'd like to see and that we hope to, to help bring to fruition. So we're, we're confident that it's going to happen, but, but I think it's important that people understand that in all of this, you know, talking about how wonderful this is, this is a hard thing to do in a school setting. Like right. you have to, we have to raise a lot of money to be able to do this, and we have to, um, you know, there's a lot of, lot of changes that we're trying to Im- implement in a school setting that are challenging. And so be just coming forward and saying, just as a supporter, as a stakeholder, as a contributor, the more that the community can rally behind this, the more likely this is going to be achieving the vision that I think that we're describing to you. We're confident, just based on our track record, that we can we can get to there. But you know, we we it is going to still it's going to take a village, as people say. It's right. going to take the whole village to come right. forward. Right. But the whole village will benefit. Yes. Well, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's a community project for the community right. and with the community. Yes. Right. How would people get a hold of you to to be able to participate in that? Well, the easiest way is to go to our website, of course, and that's dpengineering.org. And they can go there, and there's, of course, contact information, and there's things about our program. And it's, it's pretty easy. The contact information is listed on the bottom. Perfect. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to understand that we're in a transitional period where it's the even the website dpengineering.org, but we anticipate that we're going to be treating this as an innovation institute for the community, mm-hmm. an innovation institute in residence at the Santa Barbara School District that is not only impacting the schools locally, but impacting, uh, you know, even Goleta Union, which is not part of our school district, and then the other schools in this area, and then the schools beyond this area. We have visitors that come right now, even with what we've done already from all over the world to learn about the types of education we're doing. They see it, you know, they see a video clip or something or they see something, some news clip, and mm-hmm. then they come and check us out. And that at this point is without us actually going out and seeking people to come in. But I think what we're going to try to do is we're hoping that that this new facility, that this kind of with an institute lens, not a programmatic kind of school program lens, will will shine a spotlight more on the work we're, we're doing in a way where people will see it being unique beyond a school program. I think right now people see us as a unique school program, but it's hard for them to see how it's transcending that. And I think that having this broader facility that's, that's serving a broader need will be so unique in what it what it's doing educationally that it will help to spread the message. For us, that's true. We, we care that's about the spotlight, not because uh, we care about getting a bunch of accolades. We care about it because we're so committed to trying to get these ideas out there because we've seen how powerful they've been in impacting, changing the lives of our students and the community there, their immediate community, and even the people that have visited. And we just really are hopeful in this huge world. It's so hard to kind of get all these messages out there. They're all, you know, that's why we're even here sharing this with you. Is just we feel like you never know who's going to hear that message and who they're going to be able to uh, you know, connect with and how, you, you know, the, these connections. It's all about building those connections and building visibility for the work so people can see that. And people are excited about this idea. They are hungry for it and they want oh, access yeah. to it. And last May, we had the opportunity to take a team of students and some of our exhibits to 
um, an international conference for museum professionals in Denver, Colorado, and that was last May, and it was for the Association of Children's Museums, and it was international, and there were so many people there. We actually went as an exhibit vendor, and we showcased some of our exhibits in the marketplace, and the museum professionals who came through were so moved and inspired by the story and the students, because of course our students were there presenting their work. And as people heard and understood, what is this about? What do you mean this is happening at a high school? And then they heard the story and the vision. They were very inspired. And so many of them, over 30 of them, wanted us to contact them in all of their various locations about how can they in their communities work with their local school districts and their community. How can they bring something like this there? Because they were so excited by it. Because again, it was an authentic vision, and when they spoke with the students, they could see the impact that it was making, and they wanted to know, how can I do this too? And we want to create opportunity to then collaborate with them to enable their visions in their communities. See, that's great. You're spreading, you're spreading yeah. it all over. And, it and goes, that's what yeah, it's about the vision. needs yeah. to happen. And it goes back to the authentic piece. I mean, think of yourself as a student in high school, and you're at a trade show effectively with thousands of children's museums, and 79 other companies presenting in booths mm -hmm. and we didn't go there we didn't say oh we're the cute school we bought the booth as if we were a company mm -hmm. and just showed up with students and put our stuff there just as equals we didn't even go in there and i did say to the students going in there beforehand i said you need to understand something i said if we go in there and we're just okay we're going to be passed we're going to be looked at as cute you know, high school. I said, we do have to go there and be better than everybody else. And then being by being better, we'll be viewed as an asset because it's just, it is what it is. And ultimately of the booths that were there, I think that, you know, we were in the top three or four of sophisticated types of things that people schlepped all the way across the country and took the effort to bring, you know, their products to there. We were, we were definitely in there. And so as a result, again, people approached it and, and the whole notion of us being a high school kind of fell aside because that can easily... Um, create problems if you're trying to, you know, maybe market something to a, to a, a museum, and they say, well, well, how are we going to do deal with the liability issues of a high school? But that all falls away if what you're doing is just at the same level or better than what they're seeing. Then they then they, that just that disappears, and you start to take the kids seriously. So that's great. Wow. It was so exciting because, of course, these were museum professionals, and so many of them exhibit developers, exhibit curators, and to see the way that it was changing the way they were thinking about exhibit development and thinking about the teenagers. I mean, they were having this experience coming into our booth and their eyes would get really wide and some of them would cry because they were so moved. And they were like, this is so cool. This is so different. Yes. What a different story. And then they lingered and they stayed and they spoke with the students right. and they had a connection, they had relationship and they took something away that they thought, I want this where I live too. And we want See, that for and them. That's, that's the important thing, right? Yes. And, and, I mean, yeah. And for these people, you got to think, their life's work as, these, as running these museums is trying to get young people inspired mm -hmm. in like the science and the technology and the engineering and the arts and all of that. And for them to see us, and they're trying to do that by purchasing things that will inspire young people. Think about how changed their, their paradigm shift when they saw that the kids could become the creators of the very things that would be inspirational. And then think about from their lens 
what it's looking like when they've got young people coming into their museum space, engaging with an exhibit that potentially has media associated with it that shows that it was created by young people, how much more impactful that's going to be on the young person than coming in and interacting with some, something and having no idea what its origin story is. And obviously going in with the assumption that it was made by a company. I mean, you, you, right. you, you, change, you change the whole paradigm of a young person right. going into a space if they're looking at something going, whoa, this thing that's inspiring to me and I'm learning all this science, just like that one over there was made by the company, this one was made by high school students. And now maybe that student is looking at the maker space that that STEAM museum has through a different lens and saying, maybe I could use the maker space to create something. Maybe I have the ability at a young age to be able to be a producer of things that inspire people. And so that's a exactly. huge, that's a huge uh, win that we have in terms of our, our strategy of how we want to put these out in the world. And also an access issue. If they are 10 years old and they're watching a video of a 15-year-old student talking and they're thinking, they're only five years older than me. I can do that. Oh, wow, they use that laser cutter. There's a laser cutter right here in this makerspace. And there's that person in there who can help me know how to use it. That's and maybe I'm going to sign up for that class this weekend because now I understand, like, okay, this person that I'm seeing in this video is like me. I can be like them. Right. And that's the access point that you want for people. If you don't have access, it's not something you consider for yourself. It's something you look at and say, well, that's for someone else. Right. That's and, someone else's life. And there's, a, there's a, another aspect of this, and again, it's, it's hard because this is such a nuanced thing that we're talking about in this little little gray room that we're sitting in right now. But one of the things we talked about is when the young people come to our space and get mentored by our students, you know, we, we didn't tie that back into the impact that that has on transforming the view both from young men and young women about the place that young women can have and women have can have in engineering. And so what I mean by that is if you're a seven-year-old boy, this is where I really think it becomes impactful, and you're being taught how to use a machine by a young woman, that's changing the way that you perceive women. And the reality is when yep. you look at power dynamics and you look at our country, I mean, as a male, I'm very aware of like there's a male power dynamic, you know, in terms of how things are, are, are viewed. If you can raise young people from the beginning to just be not seeing that as a thing, like not, right. not, exactly. building, not enculturating that in themselves. So as much as people talk about how inspiring it is when a young woman, you know, that's seven works with, you know, one of our young girls to, you know, to teach them, you know, and they're doing that. You got a 15 year old girl and a seven year old girl and that they've got that direct mentorship and they go, oh, I could be like that. I think that the power that we have is just really reshaping for all those young people who they see as engineers who they see as people that can do STEAM and STEM. And you end up, and, and one of the things you see, if you see in our environment, this has been very, we've been very fortunate in a way, this has been a, a helpful thing for us, is that you don't really have young men working in garages with their dads anymore in cars. That used to be a thing. Yeah. I mean, that was a yeah. thing because you could work on your car. And there was a lot of like, let's take things apart. A lot of, we, we live in a culture now which has kind of moved into the throwaway culture. The thing's broken, I throw it away. It's either right. because it's so complicated, no one could figure out how to solve it, or there's just the notion of, ah, I can just buy another one, why do I want to think about that? The way that's benefited us is when we get these young women and young men as 14-year-olds in our program and we start introducing them to this machinery and these tools, 
for the most part, they're starting on an equal playing field. And so what you'll see is collaboration between them on how do you use this stuff. There isn't this presupposition from like the young men of like, oh, I know how to use the tool. You know, get out of my way and I'll show you how to do it. That's kind of fallen off. So we start and we start these people on these machines like that. And that from the beginning, you have a cultural change because right, right at the beginning, everyone feels that they're in over their head and everybody's in it learning together. And there's no presupposition that, like I said, that this is somebody else's tool and I'm now getting to access this. This is everybody's tools. Anybody can use these tools. See, that's, you're, you're, you're changing the, the culture of education. And it's, it's so impressive and it's so, uh, you know, 10 years from now, if you guys keep doing, I, well, I know you will keep doing this. Not, there's no if to it. Uh, but you keep going out there and and, and doing these exhibits and presenting this information and people are engaged and interested, the whole, you're just, you're just changing everything, the whole dynamic. And that's, that's beneficial, not only for the student, of course, but also for business. Mm -hmm. it's, it really helps business because the person comes into the business world already knowing this, already wanting to be uh, a major contributor yes. and, and taking ownership and uh, not being afraid to say, we have a problem here. And let's solve help, it. Help me fix it. Right. Not and I want to contribute for help. Right. right? I, and also to yes. say, I want to help to solve this problem. Right. Right. Not as a passive person in the organization saying, right. this is a problem. Someone better solve it. <laughs> exactly. Because Which does often happen. Right. Doesn't I, happen at American Riviera Bank. I'm glad to We've hear that. We've got your culture. I'm glad to hear that. We have that. Yes. To enable and empower people to solve the problems that directly affect them, I don't know what's more powerful than that. Because, yeah. of course, they're, they're, if the people closest to it have the greatest investment in getting it solved in a way that's going to be suitable. I think there's nothing that's more demoralizing than being in, a, in an environment or in a system and wanting to be able to affect change and not being empowered to affect change. I mean, I think when you hear people complaining about their workplace or complaining about that, it's really, all that is is it's a symptom of disempowerment. It means mm -hmm. people aren't listening. And the reality is mm -hmm. you need to listen. And it's not just people just want to complain. That's not really what it's about. People ultimately do want to try to make things better. Yes, because they're coming from a place of helplessness or hopelessness. And obviously they're talking about it so much because it's bothering them. And they're talking to their friends after work at happy hour, whatever it is. But really it's bothering them and they wish they could do something about it. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm glad that American Riviera Bank, there's a forum for I'm that. I'm telling you. And the amount of lost productivity yeah. because of that, people don't understand. You get so much more out of people who are inspired. I mean, if you want to look at it, I mean, I don't try not to look at stuff so like, you know, calculated, but you're going to get so much more out of people from a business, just oh, from yeah. a bottom line standpoint, if people are excited about what they're doing, feel like they have a stake in it, feel like they can contribute, feel like if they see a real problem that they can be heard. And maybe, you know, there are times like even just being heard, maybe they perceive a problem and then when they understand the reason that these things have been put in place, they won't see that as a problem anymore. They'll understand the bigger picture. But, you know, even, in, even inviting people to the table to understand the bigger picture exactly. can be helpful. Exactly. Which was talking about, we were earlier talking about the silos of when people are so separate and the yes. departments are separate and there's no connectivity there. Well, then, of course, there's, I mean, there's a disenfranchisement there and a sense of like, well, that's not my area. 
I don't know what they're doing over there. And also that sense of passing the buck and blaming, oh, that must have been them. It's not us, yeah. like our little group. Yeah. But if it's a we, if, if the entire organization considers it like we're all in this together and we can help each other, because then, you don't, then you're not going to have any kind of blaming because everyone has a sense of like... And, we, and we, you'll get it handled. Right, because we can do something about this and let's work together. I think uh, there's also, you know, we had talked about benefits of, that you can get from the, the business side. I think that it, it really it's about embracing the idea that change can be good. You know, I think that in, in any kind of environment, you can be scared of change. And I think that the only way you're ever going to keep up is by being willing to change and willing to evolve. And I think for us, one of the things that we have that I think is unique, and it's because we don't have a lot of the the systems in place that businesses need that have to be there, checks and balances to keep things all in order. We don't have a lot of those, and as a result, we can be very nimble in our decision-making process. Mm -hmm. We can do a 180-degree turn because at the end of the day, our bottom line is really, is it good for the students? And right. that does put us at this advantage to seeing how to solve problems without always having to focus on things that maybe are very pragmatic. And I think that what business could learn is that while you need to retain that pragmatic bottom line um, aspect, you can borrow from the concepts of, I say we run a lot like a startup of like, how do you have in parallel nimble ways to solve problems? Or you can look at something and say, you know what, this is a problem. We need to move it into the fast-tracked, nimble strategy that we have created that's available in our culture. Don't make it so that everything that has to get solved has to go through like the traditional pathway because I think if you do that, you do end up with an inflexibility in thinking. You need to be able to pull out of that and sometimes say, how do we just you know pull this problem aside and look at it with fresh eyes and clear eyes and, and separate it out from, from the normal way that we do business. And I think exactly. that, that'll really, that's, a, that's an opportunity where I think business could look to, to do that. And we're fortunate to be able to do that regularly. I mean, we really, it's a luxury. I mean, I, I'm aware of that. I worked in industry and mm -hmm. I was telling you I worked in aerospace where there were all kinds of things you had to do for, just for safety. You need to make sure that the bolts you were buying had a certification on it because if somebody's going to be in outer space on a spaceship and that bolt wasn't certified and then it fails, you need to be able to track that for, for really, for accountability. But there, there are also, you know, situations where you could rapidly prototype or rapidly design and not continue to adhere to all of those rules. And what I find is that the bureaucracy that is in place that is necessary for certain aspects of business gets transferred over to areas where it doesn't need to be existing. And it, and it stifles, you know, other areas where it doesn't need to. And you could have that nimble, uh, those nimble attributes appear in other, other domains of your business. This has been such an interesting conversation. And there's, there's so much more that we can uh, talk about and apply to business. And uh, I really, really enjoyed taking the tour of your academy. I really enjoy talking to you and now knowing you. And um, I've learned a lot uh, from you and I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys have been um, really inspirational and I just love what you're doing for the youth of America and what's gonna, what you're building. Right. For, for our business and for everybody's business. Right. So thank you so much. And Amir and Emily, it's been great having you. And uh, 
really enjoy it. Thank you. We've been, we've been happy to be here. And what I would say is to anybody that's listening, you've heard what we're trying to do. You've heard our story. And I think if you've been inspired, um, please reach out. Uh, we would be happy if you think that you are in a position to be able to help in a way or support this or this vision is speaking to you. Um, we, we're lo- this whole thing has been built through the altruism of the people who have um, seen the vision that we're working on and been inspired by it. And you know, we, we're, we invite everybody to the problem and invite everybody to the table to help us continue to do the work we do. Because it really is a collective vision, and it always it's, has it's been. It's important for the community. Well, and it yes. is, and we always like to welcome new members of the family because we are a family and we continue to grow. Yes. And so thank you so much for having us, and you are thank now you part of our much. family as well. Yes. yes. Thanks. And I'm very proud of it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.